0: You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the word. Welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad you are joining us for Another episode. If this is your first time joining the Bonfire Podcast, we want to say welcome to you. And we thank you for stopping in. We pray that you would stay and uh, listen uh, for a little bit. And if you like what you're hearing, we encourage you to become a subscriber and uh, a regular downloader of our content. We release new content each week on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so by becoming a subscriber, you will get this content download- downloaded directly to your mobile device. As always, we are looking to grow our Bonfire family, and so we would encourage you, if you've been listening for quite some time, that you would share the Bonfire podcast with someone else. Maybe it's someone you work with, maybe it's someone in your family, a friend uh, that you know. Uh, tell them about the Bonfire podcast and uh, get them to listen in. We we want to see more and more people studying God's Word and uh, digging deep into His Word. So if you will, share the good news about what's going on here Uh, with Bonfire. Well, Dad, we're going to uh, continue our series, uh, our study series that we've entitled Dear Church on this episode. Um, This series is focused in on the seven letters from Jesus to seven churches found in the book of Revelation. And thus far, we have covered the first four letters. And in this episode, we're going to be studying the fifth letter, and that's the letter to the church at Sardis. By way of background, Sardis was the capital a city of Lydia and was situated in a fertile valley at the foot of Mount uh, Ptolemus. And uh, it was about 30 miles southeast of Thyrotyra. Now, that was uh, the uh, city or the church that we covered in our last episode. And being the capital city, Sardis was an important and a very rich city. It was a center of trade. It was a military center, and it had an excellent climate and its gorgeous palace, Uh, was the center of attraction. And while this city sounds comparable to the other cities that we've discussed in this series, the letter to the church at Sardis marks a change from the previous letters. For the poor yet rich church in Smyrna that we covered, the Lord had nothing but praise for that church. For the churches of Ephesus and Pergamos and uh, Thyatira, uh, the Lord had praise, some words of praise for them. But we'll see as we study uh, this letter that our Lord has nothing good to say to the church at Sardis. And so just as with the other letters that we've looked at, Jesus begins his letter with an introduction, and that introduction oftentimes reveals a little bit about what Jesus has to say to the church. And so I want us to, to look first at Jesus' introduction. This letter can be found uh, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 uh, through verse 6. And so if you got your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with us over to Revelation chapter 3. And let's look at verse 1. The first part of it is where we find this introduction. And it reads, And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write these things, says he who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, in this introduction uh, to the church at Sardis, we see that Jesus uses the symbol of seven spirits of God. Now, this symbol speaks to the Holy Spirit, and it it must be uh, careful here as we interpret this. Now, there is only one Holy Spirit uh, that can be mentioned here, but the the reference of seven, seven, I think we've talked about on this podcast before, is a divine number, (laughs) and it represents or expresses in Scripture completeness or fullness. And so what Christ is saying here is that he is the one that has the full or the complete Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And he wants the church to understand, this church in Sardis, to know that he desires to control his church by the full and effective work of the Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind as we talk about the trouble that we find this church in. Uh, as we go a little bit further, that's going to be an important note to make here. Jesus furthers his description by saying that he has the seven stars. And this is given to remind all who are reading this and all who are in the church at Sardis that the oversight of the church is in his right hand. It is a reminder that they must take orders from him, and that he alone is sovereign and the head of his church. And, through the Holy Spirit, he carries out his will. It makes you wonder if there was maybe some type of uh, authority uh, questioning going on here in this church It's hardest for Jesus to bring up uh, his sovereign authority in his introduction. So you can see here from his introduction that Jesus has a message that he wants to get across to the church at Sardis. And he doesn't waste a whole lot of time getting to his point. He gets right to it, as we'll see as we read the rest of this letter. So let's look at the rest of the letter and see what Jesus has to say to this church at Sardis. Let's read, again, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Dad, you got your Bible with you. Do you mind uh, reading that for us?
1: Sure. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we've already talked about, uh, Jesus doesn't waste any time getting
0: to his point and, and getting that point across to the readers of the church at Sardis. And we we mentioned also that Jesus didn't have a whole lot of uh, pleasant things to say about this church. And he jumps right in and starts talking about the issues that are there. Dad, what was the the accusation Jesus leveled on this church at Sardis?
1: Okay. Well, you remember a while ago you mentioned about Sardis being a, a great city. It was one of the noblest and greatest cities of all the East. For more than 2,000 years, it was a famous city under successive empires. But sad to say, though, at the time Christ was sending this message to the church, the city was but a shadow of its former splendor. And the church at Sardis, unfortunately, had become like the city. It was not what it used to be. This message Jesus gave to Sardis is not just for this one church and i want you to be sure to hear this out there in podcast land it was meant to be a warning to all great churches that are living on past glory and today there are many churches of the sardis type now as we look at our scripture Uh, One of the first things that Jesus mentioned about this church before he led into his accusation was he said something about the reputation of the church. Jesus said in verse 1, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive. Now the church at Sardis outwardly appeared to be flourishing. It was a beehive of activity and was well spoken of in the Christian circles. People visiting it probably thought that it lacked for nothing. They no doubt had an eloquent orator, a beautiful ritual, and possibly a fine place to worship, because in the Scripture we find no indication that the people would have had reason to worship in secret due to persecution. I imagine that the church was filled up on Sunday mornings, But the one thing that was not filled was the people. They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were not directed and empowered by God. Their work was not empowered by God. Now, we know of their reputation, but now let's look at the reality concerning this church, the accusation Jesus made concerning them. In verse 1, let's go back and look at it again. Jesus said, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest. And are dead. When Jesus said they were dead, he didn't mean that they were all physically dead, or that they were all spiritually dead in the sense that they were all unsaved and going to hell. Because in verse 4, he points out that there were some in the church who hadn't dirtied their garment or give in to the temptation to sin so as to mar their testimony. When you get right down to it, Jesus was saying in verse 1, People see your activities and your numbers and they assume that that's a sign of life or that a genuine spirit-filled ministry is going on but they're wrong you are dead meaning that you are operating in your own power not the power of the holy spirit to further illustrate this have you ever seen a tree with the heart decayed and eaten out green leaves may still appear for a while even though the hole is there. The church at Sardis was like the tree with a hole in it. Outwardly, it still looked like a strong spiritual church, but Jesus, who could see the hearts of the members that made up the church, knew that all but a few had unconfessed sins in their lives, thus hindering the work of the Holy Spirit in them and in their church. There are a lot of churches today That years ago were strong spiritual churches, but now are lifeless because their members made compromises with the world and sinned, thus robbing the churches of their spiritual power. They, like the church at Sardis, are dead, and they don't even know they're dead. They remind me of Samson, who after he had his hair cut and lost his strength, he was awakened to the sound that the Philistines are here. And so we went out to fight them in great confidence because he had always been a champion over them. But sadly, he did not know that his strength had left him. He had always fought the Philistines in the spirit of God's power. But now he fought them in his own puny physical strength and was conquered and captured. Many Christians today are trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. and They're having no success at it because the Christian life is a supernatural life. And it can only be lived by trusting in the Holy Spirit for guidance and power so as to resist temptation. Churches that are dead or powerless are full of people who are carnal, fleshly, and aren't living the abundant life that Jesus talked about when he said, I am come that they might have life and have it abundantly. The churches and the people might be full of works for God, but the works are empty. That's what Jesus meant here when he said in verse 2, I have not found your work perfect. The word perfect in the Greek also carries the meaning fulfilled or completed. Works done in the strength of the flesh will not begin to fulfill God's purpose or pattern. Now, we've looked at the accusation uh, Jesus made towards Uh, this church. I mean, he expressed their reputation, but then he got down to business and told them the reality. Dr. Vance Habner, a great preacher of days gone by, has frequently said that spiritual ministries often go through four stages, a man, a movement, a machine, and then a monument. Sardis and many other churches like it are in the monument stage, but even in that stage, there's still hope.
0: That's exactly right, Dad. And as I was listening to you, you go through that, I was just thinking to myself of, um, you know, how sad it is to, to to know that you can have a church that that looks alive and is seemingly busy and and has programs and building campaigns and all these things going on, but yet is still uh, still dead. And that's because that they failed to fully yield themselves to the Spirit and allow the Spirit to work in them and through them. And so. Uh, that's just something I think all of us as as listeners need to be mindful of: is being sensitive uh, to the Holy Spirit and making sure that we're relying on His power uh, to be our sole source of right. energy and uh, be the driving force behind everything that we do. And so, as I was thinking here, I was just looking at over the notes that I have, and Jesus goes on and he he says, "Hey, you're you're, you're a look alive." You got the reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. And Jesus, of course, being uh, one who is a loving, kind, and compassionate, it gives them basically things they need to do to correct themselves. Uh, and that's what we find in in most of the letters is that Jesus gives them an opportunity to make it right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was four things that kind of stood out to me as I was looking over what uh, Jesus told them. And the first thing that he says to them is that they need to be sensitive to sin. Notice in verse two there, it says, be watching. And that be watching um, has Two little words, but it means a lot. Uh, that that means to, to it was a call to wake up and to come out of their slumber. But not only to to just wake up, but to be vigilant and to be on watch for false doctrine. To be on watch for sin that may be creeping into the church or their personal life. Uh, that term. There is oftentimes reference to a soldier being on guard and having mm-hmm. to be vigilant and always watching and keeping his eyes open uh, to see anything that may be coming um, at, at him that may be um, possible issues to him. And so Jesus says, I want you to wake up and I want you to be sensitive to sin. I like the way that Paul put it over in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 14. It says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And that's really the call here that Jesus was giving to this church at Sardis, was to wake up and to be vigilant, to be on the lookout for sin and and, and to be on the lookout for things that were going to bring them down. The second thing that he tells them is to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. And look over at verse 3. It says, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. And that received, of course, is referring to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and and being led and guided and or heard uh, of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Jesus tells them, be submissive. R- remember, part of their problem, and even we talked about it in our introduction, is when uh, Jesus introduced himself, he's, he talks about having the fullness or the completeness of the Spirit. And that was a reminder to them that they were not working in the fullness and the completeness of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. At some point, they had let sin creep in. Uh, to their personal lives, maybe sin into their collective church life, and that sin will quench the power of the Holy Spirit. And Dad, one of the things I, I find interesting is, you know, that quenching of the Holy Spirit uh, found over in Ephesians. That word "quench" uh, means a couple things. It, it means uh, closely related to fire, mm-hmm. and so it means to to put out. And so you you don't want to put out the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the the quenching of the Holy Spirit also, that word quench, is related to thirst. Uh, and, and so you, you don't want to cut off the supply uh, there of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus was telling them they needed to be submissive and go back and remember the receiving of the Holy Spirit and stick to the Holy Spirit as being their guide and their power for everything that they do. The third thing that I saw that stood out to me was he says, be uh, subject to the authority of God's word. Uh, look over in verse three there. It says, therefore, how you have received and heard. And that says, hold fast. That term hold fast. I think we covered that in a previous episode, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it throughout the New Testament, I think, four or five times. And every time that word is used there, it means to cling to, to 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 stay true to and that's true to staying true to God's word. So he's saying, hey, stay true to the word of God. Stay true to this to the scripture. Uh, that is where you get your your ultimate authority uh, to is to be subject to God's word. And then lastly, of course, he says, repent. Uh, anytime a Christian finds himself in a position of where uh, they're dead or they've grieved the Holy Spirit, uh, repenting is in order. You know, And it's going to God and saying, God, I'm sorry. Uh, not just that I'm sorry, but it's turning away from what you were doing and the, and the the evilness or the sinful behavior that you were in and going in a different direction. And so right. Jesus gives these four things. He says, again, be sensitive to sin, be submissive to the Holy Spirit, uh, be subject to the authority of God's Word, and to repent.
1: Hey, Matt, I want to pick up on something in verse 2 where uh, Jesus told this church to strengthen the things which remain now this dead church at sardis most likely still had prayer and preaching and teaching the absence of any word about their being persecuted was probably because they were not aggressive in their witness to the city and thus there was no invasion of the enemy's territory no friction usually means no motion Jesus didn't want this church to abandon what they were doing, prayer, preaching, and teaching. He just wanted them to lean on the Holy Spirit to put new life in them. And after they were revived, after they repented, you know, and turned from their sin and and come back to God, maybe then they could add the things like visitation that were dead. It's amazing that visitation is usually one of the first things to go in a dying church.
0: That's right. And so after uh, giving the warning uh, to this church, Jesus also encourages those who are in Sardis uh, who remained faithful. I want us to look over uh, here starting at verse 4. It says, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me and white for they are worthy what's interesting here dad is um, apparently the church wasn't completely dead right there were still uh, those that were holding true to the things of God and they hadn't as the the scripture said here defiled their garments meaning they hadn't given in to sinful behavior mm-hmm. and that they were trying to maintain and, and hold on to the things of God and he says of them that they would be rewarded uh, by being able to walk with God in robes of white and of course that robe of White is a symbol of righteousness that will be given to the believer Uh, one day when we get to the other side of eternity there as part of our reward there. And so I find it interesting uh, that there was this group that was still there. And so uh, Jesus, although he didn't have a lot to say positive, he does give uh, this little uh, nod, if you will, to the the Christians who were there that were still being faithful to him, that he he saw their works Mm -hmm. and he understood that they hadn't given in. And he wanted to encourage them to keep going and to remind them of the reward that was coming to them. Jesus goes on to say in verse five, he says, if he who overcomes... Shall be clothed in white garments, and and I will not blot out his name in the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father, and before His angels. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. So in in verse five here we see that Jesus is speaking to the overcomer, and and this is a common theme that we've seen throughout each of the le- lessons that he's referring to those that remnant, if you will, those who are going to listen and going to heed his warning, whatever it may be in the letter, and are going to follow through with the corrective action plan that he kind of uh, lines out there. To them, Jesus makes the final promise. Uh, that if they overcome, they will likewise be dressed in white. And then he makes this promise here that's very interesting. And he said, I will never blot out his name in the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. And obviously that's a reference to uh, the book of life that will be used in judgment and, and will be written there in the uh, Lamb's book of life and um, it will be confessed before the father, which means they will be a true child of God and they will be part of the family of God as they get into heaven.
1: That's right. You know, it's always uh, the smart thing to do when God tells you to do something to do it. And here God's telling these people to remember, to repent and keep. I, I've read a story one time, and this story was found in John Phillips' book, Exploring Revelation. And it's a great illustration that I want to, to give as we near the end of this podcast. Uh, there were two boys in a home full of life and energy, as boys usually are, one night The parents went out on the evening with their guests, leaving the boys at home. When the family returned, a deathly stillness reigned supreme in the house. They unlocked the door with a feeling of apprehension and went inside. They called the boys, but there was no answer. They went into the living room, and there on the table, gathered together in a neat little pile, were the shattered fragments of a valuable vase, mother's pride and joy. Alongside the pathetic, little heap of china fragments was a note dear mom and dad we're terribly sorry we knocked over the vase and it broke we have put ourselves to bed without any supper well alan redpath and telling the story originally he asked a question he said what do you think that father did do you think he went upstairs and hauled those boys out of bed and gave them a beating <laughs> not a bit they had passed judgment on themselves, and the parents were disarmed. Remember, repent, keep. That is all. Then the Lord will not have
0: to judge. Well, that's a good illustration there, Dad. And so as we get ready to, to kind of close out our podcast uh, for this particular episode, I always like to bring it back to kind of practical application. And, and when we started this series on our first episode, we, we said that, hey, these letters Uh, kind of have a threefold uh, benefit to them. They're obviously written to a a literal church at that time. Uh, So it was written to the church at at Sardis. Um, It was written to all churches to read. So that's for us to apply to churches that even we see today. But then there's also personal application in each of these letters where where a Christian can look at this and say, hey, am I I like a, a, a Christian in Sardis right now? Am I uh, looking alive, but I'm dead. I'm dead to the the okay. Holy Spirit. I'm not allowing the Spirit to flow through me. And so, as we look at that personal application, I think that's uh, there's two things that we can do. One, uh, I think we really need to be careful, particularly in these days, Dad, to really test um, our churches that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we've kind of talked about it and touched on uh, this podcast quite a bit. That uh, the the kind of seeker friendly church is is becoming very popular. And if you look at one of those churches, man, they've got a whole lot going on, right? There's strobe lights and fog and, and worship service seems to be crowded and packed and probably something going on on their campus every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that really generated from the Spirit? Is it the Spirit working in, in and through the believers in that congregation and is right. it Spirit-led? Or is it is it kind of like the church at Sardis? Is it looks alive, but... In reality, it, it has no substance. It has no spirit uh, mm-hmm. to it. The Holy Spirit is not guiding. So I would say we need to be careful and we need to test our churches, uh, test the church that you're in um, to see if, if it kind of fits in with being a spirit-filled or spirit-led church. And then, of course, the personal application to us as Christians. Um, I, there's a difference between being uh, spirit-filled and spirit-led and just going through the motions, it's something wow. that you can obviously see. And so if you're living uh, your your life and you feel like you have no power uh, in your spiritual life, you, you have you have uh, no energy in your spiritual life, um, it may be that. The, the Holy Spirit is not working through you, and maybe you've grieved the Holy Spirit, and, and maybe there's sin in your life, or maybe there's something that's come in between uh, you and, and God. Maybe you haven't been uh, following through and reading God's Word like you're supposed to, or you haven't been spending time in prayer like you're supposed to, and that can cause you to become distant. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I always say that you, you can't lose the Holy Spirit, uh, but you can definitely, again, hurt the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and weaken its ability to work in you. And, uh, and so that's what I would just say is to be careful and kind of assess your life and see if you've got the full spirit, uh, the, the sevenfold spirit working in and through you. And if not, uh, it's time to get on the knees and fall before, as, as we talked about here, and repent and kind of go back and do things over again to restore that relationship uh, with God and to get the Holy Spirit flowing through you once again.
1: That's right. You know, in our day and time, Matt, a lot of churches— have decided that they don't need to pray and plan for uh, a spiritual uplifting and revival. Yeah, I mean, I remember years ago, I'm 62 years old, when I started out pastoring, that it was not uncommon for just regular pastors to have one or two revival services that they would be invited to speak at, you know, and you always kind of negotiated with the new church, hey, I, I need you to allow me to have some time to go preach revival services because we certainly want people to be available to come and, and uh, help us in revival. And the churches would have cottage prayer meetings. Cottage means home prayer meetings where yep. people, old saints would get on the knees at on the couch and at the chair and call out to God for God to do a spiritual work in the church to revive them as individuals and uh, just to revive the church and get the church back to where it needed to be and sometimes churches would have uh, two meetings a year like that a plan and some people say oh you can't plan for a revival well if you don't aim for something you certainly not going hit it you need to you need to get on your knees and pray I mean uh, we're all too often tempted to uh, to draw away from the Lord and get cold and indifferent and, and we need to keep our, our, our feet to the fire and, and, and be praying. And I just want to encourage you, pastor, that you might be listening to this podcast today and your church is not in revival you've not even thought about planning a revival service. Now, of course, I know that most of our churches, even even my own, has taken some time off from that because of, of COVID-19, the stay-at-home order, all of this kind of stuff. But you know, uh, with God's help, we're getting past that. And and we need to start, and I will, start uh, planning those revival services and praying for it now, way ahead of it. So, Pastor, if you're listening and, and your, your church is is just dead and stale uh the services are lifeless you don't see god moving and working in your church like you would want him to move and work your church needs revival and and this message is a message to you uh the church at sardis and to seek and to pray and to plan uh, that God might move and work. Now, I know people say, well, we had revival and nothing happened. Well, usually uh, things happen in accordance to how much you pray. If you pray little, you're going to get little results. If you pray a lot, depend on God, you're going to see much greater results. So if you didn't get much uh, out of your revival, it could be that your church didn't pray too much. So I just call on you right now, pastors that's out there listening. You might be a pastor on a a mission field, Hey, uh, the church needs to be revived, and we need to stay in a state of revival. And so, just lead your church to pray and pray a long time, and and seek God, and uh, plan those revival services, and and put Him first, and you'll see God do great things in your life and in your church.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, a uh, great uh, kind of call to action there, Dad, uh, for our pastors and and our and our even congregants uh, to be praying for revival Uh, our churches need revival Uh, lord knows our our country needs revival here in the united states and around the world we need revival and then uh, us personally just uh, in our personal lives we need revival Uh, we live in a a very uh, dark and uh, dry spiritual time right now uh, in our world and we need revival now more than we ever had and so that was a, a great call to action there we hope that you've enjoyed uh, this series uh, that we've been working through. We'll be back again with you next week uh, as we talk about the next church. This will uh, be the church at uh, Philadelphia, and that's the faithful church that we'll be going through next time. And uh, if you uh, maybe have not caught any of the other episodes that we've done in this series, I encourage you to go back and listen to those and kind of get caught up with us and then join us again next week. So we'll be back with you next week. Look forward to talking to you then. Dad, will you pray and set sure. here?
1: Sure. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. You know that we do. And Lord, I admit, oftentimes, Lord, uh, I get cold in my relationship with you. And I need my heart to be warmed. I need to be challenged to grow closer to you. I need revival. Lord, I know there are a lot of pastors out there today, uh, perhaps this listening in on this podcast. And Lord, uh, to the shame. They hadn't had revival services in five years. They think they're revived. They think they're alive. But Lord, if you assess the condition of their church, help them, Lord, to just ask this question. Would the Lord say that I was really alive? God, I want my church to be alive spiritually. I want those that are listening to this podcast, I want them and their churches to be alive spiritually. It could be, Lord... Not just pastors, but certainly lay people listening. Lord, revival start with just a few people uh, coming together, uh, seeking God and praying for spiritual renewal in their own life and in the lives of others and praying for people specifically. And then that, that small little fire starts, and then it starts growing and growing. And then when the church catches on fire, people come and watch it burn. So, God, I just pray that you just lay that on people's hearts. And I pray, Lord, that if anybody's listened to this podcast that is 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 dead spiritually. I mean, really not alive because they don't have Jesus in their heart. God, may they turn from their sin and accept Jesus and what He did on the cross as payment for their sin today and trust Him, the risen Savior, is their Lord.
0: And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.